Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 277. Today is Sunday the 13th of May 2018 and this interview is with Kelly Hungerford. Kelly is a digital marketing and marketing operations expert based in Switzerland and helping small and mid-sized enterprises and brands on their digital transformation initiatives. In this podcast with Kelly, we discuss some of the differences between marketing in Europe versus in the US, the state of the business in marketing tech, how to establish a genuine purpose in enterprise, as well as how to build community. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Kelly Hungerford. We are finally meeting, as is this new age is wont to do. We're doing it for a first time over Skype, although we've kind of been following each other's whereabouts over the last few years as Americans in Europe. So Kelly, yay. yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm not sure whether you consider yourself more American or more European these days. You're going to get into that. Tell us in your words uh, who you are, what you do, and as I always like to ask, what's your mindset these days? Ah, good question. I love these questions. So the first one's easy. I'm Kelly. Uh, I'm American. I'm Californian. So I consider myself a very special type of American. The Republic of California. And, uh, that's right, from California. No, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I moved over to, to Europe uh, about 20 years ago, lived in Germany for, for 10 years, and I've been in Switzerland since. And uh, I work as, a, as an independent uh, marketing technology consultant for kind of mid-sized brands over here, I'd say, with lower digital maturity. So helping them, I'm, I'm a bit of a digital guide, helping them kind of maneuver through the landscape today and and get set up. And um, I think what's different about me is that um, I really work as a, on a strategy level, but embedded. So my my um, partnerships with companies are really more like two years. So they're long term, two to three years to get the, the, the transformation or the initiative really planned, implemented, running. And then I help them find team members and I move on. Yeah, a because bit like Manny McPhee. But the, and the difference is that compared to most consultants, you really have experience within the business of, of yeah. bringing it in, and that is all the difference. How about your mindset? How would you describe your mindset these days, Kelly? Yeah, so my mindset is always optimistic, <laughs> and I think um, it's really, it's truly my my mindset right now is truly if we speak about this broader concept of customer experience. We can't have that stellar customer experience until the internal customer experience is happening and is well done. It's Customer experience is a, is a bit like beauty. It radiates from the inside out. So I'm focusing a lot on, yes, let's, let's, let's focus on how we can make it all better for our partners and our, and our customers. But at the same time, and maybe even more importantly, it has to work for the teams. So I'm a very... Um, I guess I have a bit of a split personality there, and I'm really, for me, moving forward, it's all mindset, and how does this help the team along the way, too? How are I, they doing? Well, I love that. I'm going to dig in on that in a second, because at the end of the day, in my book, Future Proof, we had this model Caleb and I came up with called the PI, and the PI starts with P for personal. The I stands for I for internal, before you get to E for external, and so the whole thing is actually jamming in and figuring out the I first. 
before you get to the E. So I think it sounds like we're 100% aligned. Absolutely. So I, I love that. We'll surely get into that in a moment. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, sort of a big, bigger picture, being a Californian uh, based in Switzerland, is to think about how things are evolving differently in from in the United States versus Europe. And, and how do you see branding, marketing, creation of customer experience being done differently in Europe, if at all? And what uh, insights could you bring into us? That's an interesting question. The um, so one one difference that that I see living and working over here is in the U.S. It's really interesting because everything. I mean, worldwide we talk about omni-channel, but I feel in the U.S. when we talk about omni-channel, it stems from one common uh, element, which is same culture, same language for the most part. Very often, when you work overseas and when you work in Europe, your idea of omni-channel is yes, across many channels, but it's also many countries and cultures. And I think that adds a lot of complexity that really differentiates uh, European or EMEA operations to, to the U.S. counterpart or how if you're working regionally, if it's you know the Americas to, to Europe, it's just this added layer of complexity that Honestly, until you're knee deep in it, you just don't think about it if you're if you're stateside. No doubt. I mean, especially in Switzerland, of course, where you have the three official languages. Yeah. And on and on top of that, the size is different. So Switzerland's size by itself is not even half the size of California. And on top of that, you got to deal with three different languages and and whole cultural structures. So it makes it very very distant for the Americans. Yeah, I can just imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, even just, you know, office talk. If you someone says I come from Switzerland, I mean, most people don't say I'm from Switzerland. They say exactly where they're from because mm. they're from French speaking Switzerland they're from the Swiss Flamand mm. or, you know, moving there. And it's their their culture is already German, Swiss or Italian, uh, German, French or Italian. And is that Swiss or what is Swiss? Right. So it's already very segmented within the, the country. So even just going to a meeting is really interesting. But what's great about that is English. No, right. <laughs> English, the, the equalizer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not which looks nice. All but right. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, sure. So, um, I want to, so let's dig in on this notion of MarTech, marketing technology. I, you know, I suppose like all these terms we throw around, it's, probably not a unified definition. So maybe you could start with explaining to us how you define MarTech and then to talk about where you think it is. What's the state of the business of MarTech? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever been asked to define MarTech, so I can't get to my Wikipedia fast enough. But <laughs> I think it's really about finding the right, the right technologies uh, to support business functionality. And, and, and business goals. And I think that's probably pretty interchangeable with when people talk about digital transformation and what it means or, or what have you. But no matter what your business goals are, you, you have the foundation is going to be built on technology. And I'm not even so sure that it's marketing technology anymore. You know, this term of marketing technology, if, if, we, if we continue to speak about technology in the marketing department or as marketing technology, then we've automatically automatically fit in a silo. And if you're working on a larger initiative and technology is the foundation, it's owned by everybody, not one department. So I would even say that 
the marketing technology label, I think it's already outdated. Mm. And especially if you, if you look at, you know, if you take, um, the simplest form of, of, of marketing technology, it's just, you know, automation and you want to send out emails and campaigns. A lot of marketers, they don't even sit on that database themselves. It's centralized or IT owns it. So is it really marketing technology or is it technology that enables a marketing function, but it's owned somewhere else? Hmm. That's interesting. And as far as the technologies are concerned, what would you say are are the areas that are most keenly interested or interesting to, uh, of course, the marketing team still exists. So where are we in terms, are we, are we um, Salesforce 101, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a CRM 2.0? How would you describe the state of marketing as it's using these new technologies? So, so what I'm seeing here in Switzerland with, with um, companies around here, and that's interesting. So I just had a conversation about this. I see a lot of uh, business and IT teaming to understand. So, so companies kind of de facto, they probably have SAP for ERP, right? Mm-hmm. They have Salesforce for their uh, CRM. They're using something else for the for the CMS. And then what's happening is they're they're starting to have all of these silos, and they're all fantastic technologies on their own, but they're under leveraged. And and what I'm starting to see is. Because all of the, the vendors themselves are building out to be able to go from the core all the way to the edge, there's a lot of consolidation happening. So do you have to have Salesforce and SAP? SAP has, you know, cloud for customer now. I mean, it's pretty robust. So I think, I think we're seeing uh, over here, and it makes a lot of sense, especially when you work again across multiple countries and you definitely don't want fragmentation. You, you want consolidation I think a lot of the, let's say, small, well, even like smaller businesses, but small to mid-sized enterprises for sure are consolidating to get as much as they can out of as few solutions as possible. And I, and I, think, it's, I think it's a smart way to go until you find that that solution taps out and then you need to bring in a best of breed from somewhere. But mm. I think it's all moving towards a lot of platform and fewer services is better mm. or fewer vendors. Well, I can totally imagine. Then that brings up things like extracting legacy systems and then allowing the other system that's, let's say, one out to expand in. And and that's also a whole lot of transformation because it's probably, you know, I used to like this this system. That was my favorite. And you're making me use SAP or you're making me use Adobe. And that can, you know, that's just another type of overtake and silo breaking. Yeah. And what do they say? People, people love progress, but they hate change. Huh. Right. So, so what's interesting is that the transformation and a lot of the big change happens in marketing and you can see procurement and supply chain all like wiping their forehead, like, whew, so happy that didn't hit me until the IT department comes and says, yeah, but you know what? Now there's, there's SAP, there's HANA. Hmm. we're going to the cloud too. And they're like, Oh my gosh. Right. So I think it's slowly, but surely it's, it's, it's truly again, and it's going to trickle through the entire organization. I think the marketing department is usually the first to, to adapt and to move forward, but it's impossible not to, to pull everyone along with them. But it's, um, yeah, the change management is, it's, it's brutal. I think, um, we just, we're all creatures of habit. Hmm. I mean, even me, I, I am, I like my things the way they are. I'm, I'm suffering because I need to, to get a new phone, it's like, oh, really? Like, I like this phone. I just wish it wasn't so slow. I mean, the idea of just changing 
well, it takes a, a day, a half a day, right? Mm-hmm. But so when you think about a program that's going to fundamentally change the way you work and it's going to take a year to get there or a year and a half, that, that seems like a lot of pain. Yeah. But what I say is if you can, business, partner with your IT and shwoop, do it all at once. It's going to be painful anyway. Get as much in there as possible to uh, yeah, pack it in. It's enough of a hassle to deal with an upgrade, much less yeah. a system change, you know. And, and yeah. so, when we're talking about change, and I maybe zeroing back in on what you said at the beginning, Kelly, about making the internals work better, making your internal customer work better. How do you advise or bring your customers into this process through this process of pain, which is change, and and make it? What are the what are the little insights or the pearls that make that happen where there's, you don't get more infighting or cultural breakdowns and so on? So a couple of things that have been really helpful for me and I, I think in the projects I'm working in and, and I think it probably helps everyone is the commitment from, from management to invest in the programs, the, the education. A lot of companies are really shy on the education aspect and they're, they're kind of expecting, I don't know, that somehow training is going to fall from the heavens and people are going to like take this on themselves. And I think if you can really back them up with long-term training and tools that helps, especially if they have low maturity in house, you know, like a lot of times if we just look at marketing, like traditional marketers are being asked to move more towards the content game that they're not, you know, could be product developers or portfolio managers. They don't know what to do, but there are simple solutions too, you know, such as a, Marketing Profs has a great quick study course. It's not expensive. Uh, I think it's like $300 for, for three people and then 150 per person after that. So HR can ramp up a team pretty quickly, pretty affordably, and that's all on demand. So some smaller programs like that really encourage the, the sharing, get someone to spearhead sharing, uh, sharing within the organization. So maybe, um, again, if we're looking at regional programs, you know, for the marketers, by the marketers. We, we host a, a lunch and learn every other Friday, inviting a different country to present something they're doing. And just to, to, to really kind of gain trust amongst the, the colleagues. And there's just, sadly enough, I think uh, everyone's so business doing or so busy doing their jobs that HR or management, they often just don't focus on some some low-hanging fruits that really show teams, hey, they're investing in me or they're encouraging us to exchange and and uh, get our ideas out there. Really, really nice, easy ways to start um, introducing change and build this foundation of, hey, we've got your back. We're going to help you move forward and, and you're going to be a part of this. I was with a customer recently and the, some of the middle managers were complaining about the fact that they didn't have enough memory in their laptops. And I was like, well, really? Yeah. <laughs> you mean you don't have a knife and fork to eat your meal? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, maybe that needs to be raised. We've raised it, but it hasn't been taken seriously. I'm like, oh, because the top manager doesn't know really what a pain that is. Right. I, you bring up such a great point. We just had this uh, training. We were doing an in-house training, and half the team didn't have enough memory to run the, the job application. And again, it's because the managers themselves, they don't, they're, they're kind of, you know, sometimes our biggest obstacle is the manager because they're so hands-off, and they have no idea. 
They're a system. So, and it's a great point. Those are the tools. And I, and I think, again, it's, you know, how can we facilitate? How can we move forward? Focus on the employees and the tools they need. Because we can't do our job unless we have modern day tools. And uh, that's, a, that's a great point right there. It all starts, if you can't use your laptop or your desktop to do something today and, and marketing or productivity wise, it's like, oh, yeah, and, and I, I suspect, and you can certainly qualify this, this would come from the old fashioned procurement idea that having a laptop is a, an investment, a cost. And oh my gosh, you know, we should re, you know, we should renew them every two years. And, you know, that's the cycle. Well, actually, no, the cycle is, is probably much more accelerated depending on the apps we're using. And, and it's no longer something that the, engineering mind of the financial or controllers should be having but based on usages and 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 having so getting back to this point of in the internal customer mm-hmm. um what, what are the some of the ways you make that happen i mean i mean let me tell you my perspective and then maybe that'll be a way in for you i i say well some companies really think that they need to have customer service that's very fast and so if you put up a tweet on twitter uh, will respond to you within 24 hours. It's marked in my bio. That's the kind of speed we're in. Mm-hmm. And then I say, well, so the question I have for you as an organization, are you uh, mandating within four-hour replies in mm-hmm. the company? Because mm-hmm. if you don't get, have that, it's unlikely you're going to get back in time to all the questions that are be asked within 24 hours to the customer. So that's sort of an alignment idea that I have in my pie with that. How do you go about making that internal customer work? I mean, is it is it about getting the CEO or the C-suite using the materials as well, participating in a chatter on Salesforce, or, or how, how do you go about that? Yeah, I think if you can, that's amazing. I, I haven't worked with yet with very many companies where I personally haven't. I, we know there are companies out there where this is happening, where the CEO has been, been active and, and, and really leading that way. But you can do it as long as you have their, as long as they're championing that project or that in, initiative as well. And if they're out there evangelizing, saying, let's say, digi- let's say for a company that hasn't really moved forward into the digital age, saying digital is a priority, this next you know three to five year initiative is number one priority. And it's going to be built into objectives. We're going to be moving digital first and everything we do. Then I think people start getting the idea and you start working in those smaller mandates to objectives. The objectives are a really big part of this. And again, to, to your point, you know, someone can mandate four hour return time. But if me, the team member, it's not written anywhere in my and everyone will always go back to that job description, that that role or my objectives. Why would I do it? Right. So it has to be really thought out very through the touch points in the organization. If we want this end result, let's regression test that. Where do we need to begin and where do all these dots need to be connected? And and there are a lot of different areas. And and it's really having that empathy for, you know, there are a lot of people that need to work together to to make this happen. (laughs) Excuse me. That's my hay fever kicking in. I mean, we're all feeling that pain with this beautiful spring. So I think it's a it's a great point. And, and I think the the executive management, sometimes they're just not going to have the skills. And, and they don't necessarily need to be on Yammer, okay, or be out there tweeting. But they absolutely need to be supporting 
the team they put in place to, to move that forward. And, and I see that as long as the people put in place to lead it forward, the ones that know how to drive that change have their support, then it works. But the biggest emphasis, and, and I see this on a project that I'm working on that just has to be underscored is, you know, technology just helps you get there. The real change and the real challenge comes with the team themselves. And like you said, the tools they use. And I'm seeing more and more as we look towards customer experience, the one piece we, we're obsessed with marketing technology and and the, the campaigns and faster delivery and personalization, but we often forget to talk about where the heart of it lies and not just the team, but in that in that digital asset manager or that one repository that's going to, to really be the workhorse of customer experience or of a better experience. And it's completely operational. It's completely unsexy and nobody puts enough emphasis on it. But that's one of the greatest tools right there. I, I see that's being left out of the whole equation where we're talking about all of these silos and then it's like, but where's your digital asset manager? Ah, oh, well, we have SharePoint or my laptop. So that's a key piece that, that I see more and more is strategically being put in the center of operations. And, and, and I think that's the right place for it to be. The center of your pie. Just going to stop for one second because yet there's something that's tapping and I'm not sure what it is. I'm going to, I, it, I, I wanted to keep everything you just said, but there is something uh, it's, I, I may, I was thinking it might be like that your, your mic might've been brushing up against I don't know. I'll hold it like this. Uh, I don't hear it now. Is That's, it still uh, tapping? Huh. When you do, do that, say, say, speak again. Is it still tapping? No, now it's good. So oh, may, it might have been that little ball, actually. Yeah, it might have been. That ball might have been bouncing. I'm going to hold it like this. Oh, but I can hear it actually just now. Well, do you shake your head? Yeah, I hear it again. Ah, you know what? It's what? if I hit this. Yeah, 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 that's it. Okay, I won't hit. There you go. All right. So, um, I just need now to think back about what it was I wanted to bounce back on um, because you said something. Um, all right. Yammer. Gosh. Uh, what were you talking about exactly? Talking about um, digital asset management. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a really important part. Yeah. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. I, I'm just speaking to someone recently about digital asset management, and it was from an agency perspective. And it, it's funny how a lot of these tools end up unearthing cultural change. So in a digital asset management situation, the question I ha you can have for the C-suite is, well, where are the assets? Well, some over there, some over here, some over there. And then how are they labeled? And the categories are all labeled and categorized differently. So when it comes time to maybe having a new generation of managers coming in, they have to, it's a, it's a complete jungle out there. And it, they're all siloed out. And nobody knows anything about anyone else's. And it, it unearths the issue of collaboration, silos, and all this again. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think the power of technology today is if we're thinking mindset of how we can help our teams be more efficient to deliver those experiences, it makes a lot of sense to have assets at the core and use the technology, the metadata, the tagging, the machine learning, the everything we talk about for that big data pool, that asset pool. 
and and use that to power people's search. I mean, I think it's it's just a, it's a great point where it does unearth these these initiatives do unearth and and drive change in a really radical way. And just think about I mean, we're implementing for one client uh, a digital asset manager, and they wanted to rec- recreate the the SharePoint structure. But as you said, you know, new management comes in or from person to person, labeling and filing is very subjective. Hmm. But tagging, if you can have a taxonomy and just drive this through tags and metadata, that's pretty powerful. You just need a really, you need a good search. And I think that's where it's going for, forget the folders. It's amazing, you know, because you could take any one of these technologies or any one of these issues as a way of unraveling and making these the the thing work because in the end of the day ultimately it feels for me that whichever road in you'll end up at the same destination which essentially means oh well we have to share everything we have to be speaking the same language, rowing in the same bloody direction, whether it's tagging or you know social media, because like you say, it's no longer just marketing tech. It's tech that does a lot of things and for marketing. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think getting people to row in the same direction, it sounds so simple, right? It's so difficult. Right, so it's so difficult. You, were, you uh, obviously are also very keyed up on community. Yeah. Uh, which is a big topic, and it's something I'm really exploring in my next book as well. So uh, you, uh, let's start with, should you build the internal community first? Back to your point about working on the inside out. Is is it important to have the internal community, and does that internal community need to be the same, uh, and to what degree, as the external community? Yeah, I think the internal community is so important, Mentor, so important. And, and again, I think from a, just a historical standpoint of how we work in, in organizations and companies, we've never focused on community. We've worked in teams that come together and disband. Like, oh, let's get those you know deliverables in there. We have our timeline. Go, 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 and then bye, thanks. But after that, what, right? And, and building community and, and mantling and dismantling teams are two different things. So the community is for the long run. And, I, and I'm not sure that you can build the community before you can dive into the next project or initiative. It has to be done in parallel. But once you start, and if you keep that up, and it's, it's for the, the, the long run, it's the marathon, every initiative and project that you start down the road is just going to be easier and easier because the community will come together to form those teams and they won't feel so left out to dry or, oh, that was a terrible project. You know, there were, it was only good for that amount of time and now it's gone and no one has my back. The community will carry that. So I think the community is really important. And the community, I do believe that part of that internal community absolutely helps form that external community and might even be a part of that external community. And those are the, you know, the so-called internal brand ambassadors or what do we like to call them, employee ambassadors or who knows what, but if it's really on a, on a grassroots, let's do this together. It's, it's going to be slow. It's, there's, there's no quick win in this, right? I mean, what are programs that we can put in place to, to earn trust and to bring us around common topics and, and we're going to go down this road together? It works. It works pretty nicely. The Lunch and Learns, for example, that, that simple little every other week sharing experience, 
We've been doing it for a year and a half now within an organization. People volunteer on their own. When we get together for meetings, they talk about, ah, oh, who's going to go next? So you start building this commonality, and it's very much what we see, I think, what we see on social media, where you know, strangers come together around a topic. The strangers within the, within the organization are coming together now. And it can be very, and that's like pure offline community building, right? Internal is really a lot of it is very physical in the office or when you get together for these meetings. And uh, no, it's, 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 I, I think it's essential. I think it's one of the pieces that is just hyper overlooked. Sorry, the tapping is coming again. It's really, I don't oh know what's gosh, happening. I'm so sorry. Some, no, something on. I don't know. When you move, when you move. I won't move. Because you, no, but I know you can't do that. There is something, I, I'm thinking it might, what's the, what's the attachment? It's against my pants. It must be, this cord must be very, is it now? Yep. Okay. It, the cord, is there something? Is it now? Yeah. Okay, let's do this. I was wondering if it was touching the computer at some point. Nope. Now I see, I hear nothing. Maybe that's good. I think it's when it touches me. I think that cord is really sensitive. Yeah. I've never known that. Okay, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, I, you know, I you know, I was caught between you know great content and not cutting in the flow and all that. That's just. Oh really no, good. I'm sorry. So it's much for that one take for you. You're like, damn, man, yeah. I'm not talking no, about that again. No, that's okay. No, 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 that's totally. Cool. Get those headphones. Yeah, no, different no. ones yeah, on the head. I just there's you just have to go with the flow. It's that's the way it goes. I, I'll these are easy things to edit out. All right, so uh, now I just need to remember what I wanted to say. Um, we were internal communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right, so building communities, Kelly, um, I, I mean, of course, I 100% I get that. You're being based in Switzerland. You probably have to deal with some rather large pharma, pharmaceutical companies and, and probably some a couple of banks here and there. I was wondering to what extent this holds true for those type of companies. I mean, let's say communities that are around Patagonia, Colombia, those are brands that naturally build communities because they do have activities and, and they work with their customers. I mean, outside. Banks, pharma, is it something that's also appropriate for them? And if so, how do they build legitimate, genuine communities? Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a good question. Pharma... I have I can't say I've I've studied pharma a lot. I don't know particularly in uh in Switzerland or in Europe, but banking it makes me think of Raffaison the in Switzerland and I was at a conference where the head of channel strategy was speaking about how they wanted to build community and they were starting offline first in public squares. So going around Switzerland and public squares helping people form community in that very we know is being here in europe the, the the town square is very important it's it's the heart it's the center and so they bring people there and they have branch offices near there but the the focus is really on bringing the community together around a topic or an activity and again it's very much where i think a lot of people are focused on the the, exter the external online experience they're literally taking it saying you know, we know that banking is done online, but we want to build that grounded experience to people because the experience is very human. So let's work on bringing communities together in every city. And there's a Raffaison branch office somewhere there, but let's really get grassroots. And so I think it can work. I think, 
I think if people don't over engineer and they really work on the human aspect, there are opportunities for every, every industry, every company. You just, I think we have to stop thinking like marketers. Hmm. <laughs> I think we need to think more like people and how can we be involved in, in everyday life. And that plot point might not necessarily be online all the time. So why not take it offline? Love it. That's a good reminder. All right. And another maybe last area of, of inquiry is re- with regard to purpose, because I know that's something that fills you up and it's something you go for. So it's it's probably on the minds of many people. Hopefully it's on the minds of all the right people. How do you know when purpose is genuine? That's to say a lot of people talk about it, but who's doing it? Mm. Who's doing purpose well? Yeah, I think the the purpose is really okay. I think if we look at it from a pure from a brand activation activation prospect and um, or perspective, and also from a marketing perspective, you know, you can go straight to to mentions, right? If someone's talking positively about that brand, there must be some emotional connection. If it's negative, then we know it's it's not happening, right? But I think in terms of myself as a person working within an organization, I think I would know that my organization has hit that purpose when. I'm just oozing and gushing about them and can't say enough about them. I just want to share the word. Then I, I really believe that at the highest level, people, the right stakeholders are engaged in letting the entire company know what they stand for. And, and I think the real purpose comes out when, again, when business individuals kind of take off that business cloak and just say, you know what, at the end of the day, we're all human beings we all have something to 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 share, and and we need to work together towards this common first pur- um, purpose. And maybe our company stands for this. So let's put this whatever that purpose is at the center of what we do, and let's communicate around it. Let's talk about it. Let's let's really go for it. Let's commit ourselves. You know, I kind of think of always, always at that. Um, it's like the 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 bacon and egg breakfast. Like companies are kind of like that. You kind of have to think like, are they the pig or are they the chicken, right? One's really committed and mm-hmm. the other one's kind of quasi. So my respect kind of goes to that pig, right? I yeah. mean, who's, who's, whose meat is on the line. Yeah. Um, the the um, analogy I have and I, I talk about in the same way, really, I, it, it brings these words of gushing and committed that you used is the brand tattoo test. Are you are you prepared to have the brand that you work for tattooed on your body, which is a permanent tattoo? And this speaks to the level of commitment and gushing that you have. And it also even is something that you're prepared to do in full knowledge of the fact you may not work there for the rest of your life. In fact, I guarantee you won't work there for the rest of your life because hopefully you're going to retire and, and won't. So would you as a, you know, as a, would I, as a crickety, you know, 80, 90-year-old man, be happy with the fact that on my left cheek, on my right ankle, I tattooed the brand that I love so much? Um, all right, so uh, as we finish up, Kelly, what are your favorite sources for staying up to date? Give us some of the insights on how Kelly Hungerford stays up to date. How do I stay up to date? So I'm, I'm pretty current in the local community. I get out to as many meetups as I can. I think one of the best ways to stay up to date really with the pulse is just talking to people. So I work in a lot of, uh, I have to say, I work in a lot of offline, uh, good old fashioned communication in 
online, I have to say, your podcast is a, it's, I, I love it. Thank you. I really love it. Um, I really tap into, I don't have a lot of time, I think like all of us. So I tap into some larger resources that I can really find what I need, such as Content Marketing Institute or Marketing Props. Uh, I, I, I very much keep on top of um, brand building, brand ambassador building, human connection. Love people like uh, Matt Collier has a great has a great blog on ambassador programs. Uh, Orbit Media has an amazing blog that I follow on SEO. So I kind of cherry pick some some resources, and then those are my go tos. And until something happens and they can't satisfy the need, man, I'm I'm on it. Those are good. I love it. I will. Uh, I'll have to just chase you down for the exact links. Uh, but of course, oh, uh, yeah. getting. I'm. Ha- I have Anne Handley coming on the the show in a, in a couple of weeks. So, uh, I'll be sure to shout out to Marketing. Oh, Puff. she's great. Yeah, she's just so. She's fabulous. She is indeed. good for you. Yeah, All right, Kelly. So thank you so much for coming on the show, and thanks for the compliments too. Um, what's the best way for someone to reach out, follow you? What What would you prefer? On Twitter, mm-hmm. at Katie Hungerford. You can find me there. I'm tweeting all the time. Love Twitter chats. So if you have one that you love, then share the tag with me and I'll hop on. And uh, LinkedIn. I love to carry on conversations on LinkedIn. Those two are my, they're my go-tos. Sounds good. Kelly, I'll put those in the show notes. Naturel Mom. Carry on. uh, Enjoy your spring and uh, we'll be in touch. Hey, thanks a lot. That was great. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray And heal That you mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas. Hold me tightly, slowly we would paint a lover's portrait with all your. Blend and look ugly in the end. But
do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.